Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A Cut Above with Tom Hoy is proudly sponsored by Mud Shoes. Smart shoes for smart people. Shop the latest range of men's and women's clothing and footwear over at mudshoes.co.uk.
from Manchester, England to Brooklyn, USA. Hello, I'm Tom Hoy, and you're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio. Well, if you didn't see it on social media, I'm sad to say, I am sad to say indeed, that this is the final episode of A Cut Above. But that doesn't mean to say this isn't going to be a good one, and it doesn't mean to say I'm going anywhere anytime soon. This may be the last show of A Cut Above, but there is a brand spanking new show on the way, which I will talk about at the end of the show. So please stay tuned for that. It's been an absolute pleasure um, presenting on The Face. I've been here for about a year now, just over a year, in fact. And it's been brilliant just to kind of really focus on clothing, my kind of my biggest passion in life. I love everything about clothing, so just being able to talk about it on a show has been an absolute dream for me. Um, we've covered some amazing different, uh, amazing topics, interviewed some great people along the way, um, and it's been an absolute joy from start to finish. So, this show uh, has been aptly named the ultimate final show, and throughout this show, I'm going to play some of my favourite bits from across the series, um, from spanning from Steve McQueen, who has had countless mentions, of course, throughout. He's been probably been in near enough every episode. I think I'd like to know that actually. Maybe I will listen back to them all one day and uh, play a drinking game of every time Steve McQueen is mentioned, you have to take a shot. I guarantee by the end of that, you would be hammered, as we say over here in the UK. Because Steve McQueen, as you will find out, I'm sure, from this best of show, gets more than um, a couple of mentions. I think he gets probably a mention every 30 seconds. But it's because he is, uh, I'd say, the greatest style icon of all time. There will be those that disagree um, and say uh, Newman is better. But, you know, they're in... There isn't another Steve McQueen, is there? You can't disagree with that. Anyway, wherever you are, sit back and enjoy the show. And in the meantime, remember, I'm on social media, where you can give me a follow there. I'm on Instagram, at TomHoyStyle, on Twitter, at TomTheModDJ, and you can find my Facebook page, uh, TomHoy, and you can give me a like there. Uh, For style hints and tips, uh, videos, reels... Uh, music, playlists, and all the rest of it. In fact, if you go over to my Instagram and hit the link in my bio, there's a link to all the past uh, A Cut Above shows um, and previous shows I've done elsewhere and lots, lots more. There's blogs, there's articles, there's all sorts. So please do check those out. I would very much appreciate it. Um, And remember to head on over to YouTube and search for Tom Hoy. Um, and you will find lots of my videos over there, all to do with clothing and music. But right now, though, let's get stuck right into the show, but have some music first. And it's this. Yeah, I'm lounging. I got my man Donald Byrd on the horns. I want to give a big shout out to my little man Nico. He's two years old. He's away visiting his grandma's, but I miss him dearly. If I rhyme this, you will find this situation shall advance You could take a glance or dance Elevated lyrics to arouse a crowd Now tell me who's the man to show you how Many legacies of brothers who get busy And I do it fluid till the suckers get dizzy Saying peace to the Blackbirds 125th Street And check the flow that's unique For lounging, lounging, lounging 
Mellow out and just lounge it. Lounge it. Lounge it. Mellow out and just lounge it. Can't refuse this, never lose this. It's a choice, this, cause my voice is the smoothest. Dominating to your boys, cause I've been around doing work. And so have tons of other jerks. Donald Bird word on the track, quite exact. Giving you the format, Jack. See, we gotta pave the way and display how to lounge it. Just lounge it. Mellow out and just lounge it. Lounge it, lounge it, lounge it. Mellow out. I just lounge and Today it all sounds classical music. Peace to the pioneers, but I gotta try and clear my throat. Check out what I wrote. You can't tap into this unless you know the roots. Word shoot. Like life absolute, for real. So now you got to know the deal. For lounging. Just lounging. Mellow out. I just lounging. 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 Mellow out. Check it out. And lounging. Lounging. Brooklyn where I live, where I live. Realistic, kind of mystic. When I kick this, you should witness the slickness of the horn player and the dope rhyme sayer. Quite emotional and inspirational. Philosophical and yes, very logical. Teaching you the method for lounging. Everybody knows they have times when they want to just lay back, kick their feet up, you know, listen to some good music, and just lounge. That's right. Gorgeous trumpet skills by Donald Bird. You are listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, right here on The Face Radio. And if you missed the top of the show, you will have missed me say that if you haven't seen it already, this is the final one, but that doesn't mean to say I am leaving The Face Radio. There is a new show on the horizon. But for this last one, if you're new to the show, we're basically, it's a basically a clothing show, but I'm going to talk 
all things about my favorite moments from the show uh, this last year and play some of my favorite bits. And I think a good place to start now is um, someone who I have loved ever since I first saw The Italian Job was probably the first film I saw him in. Um, that's a 1969 film. And I saw that probably, oh God, I must have been about seven or eight years old and it would have been uh, Boxing Day. It always used to be on TV. Um, yeah, um, I fell in love with that film and became obsessed with Michael Caine. All my family are from uh, the East End of London, and I think when I saw that character, uh, Charlie Croker, played by Michael Caine, it just he felt like family, and I kind of got the humour. I'm not from uh, East London, but I kind of saw that that kind of family humour that was there on screen. I understood it, and I just thought this character is amazing. And obviously, the thing that stood out, especially for me was his amazing wardrobe um, made by Michael Fish. It, it was just so incredible. The, the linen suits, um, kind of the, the jackets, the gloves. Oh, my God, I was obsessed with the way Michael Caine looked. Well, I still am obsessed with the way Michael Caine look, looked in that film, as well as his whole career. I think the man is a, is a style icon, um, and he is an incredible one at that. So let's hear from the man himself to kick things off. Here we go. I was I was a repertory actor in in the in the country, you know, and I, I didn't belong to Equity, the trade union. And I came to London and I had an agent, and I, I didn't have a telephone, and so I used to in, in Leicester Square, there was a telephone which is like sort of Times Square here, you know, uh, and every every evening on the weekdays I used to phone my agent saying, have you got a job for me? And, and one night I phoned, she said, I've got a job. She said, but you, you, I called, my real name is Michael White, and I called myself Michael White, you know, so that's fine. And she said, I've got a job, she said, but you've got to belong to equity, and you can't be called Michael White because there's always, there's already a, a, an actor called Michael White in equity. She said, you, know, you can call yourself Michael, but you can't call yourself white, and, and I need a name now. Think of a name. <laughs> and I was in Leicester Square, which is like Broadway, with all cinemas. And my favorite actor is Humphrey Bogart at that time. And I looked round, and it said, Humphrey Bogart in the Cane Mutiny. <laughs> so I said, that's a good name. So I said, she said, uh, I said, you know, call me Cain, Michael Cain. She said, how do you spell it? I said, C-A-I-N-E. <laughs> but it, it was a good job it wasn't the next theater because I'd have been called Michael 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> I'm almost a little nervous to do this show just because there's so much different information to throw in. It's inevitable I will forget something really important and tomorrow morning I'll wake up and think, God, I forgot to mention that. But bear with me. I promise this is going to be a great show and a love letter, I hope, to the actor that I simply just love. And not just because of his acting, of course, but for his style as well. The glasses, the suits, oh, the, just everything about him. Again, I think it comes back to that thing that we've mentioned on probably nearly every one of the episodes, which is probably, we're getting closer to that, what is the epitome of cool? And I think it's someone that wears things that doesn't, where it looks almost like no thought has gone into what they're wearing. 
Michael Caine does that because his clothes look well lived in. I think, and what I mean by that is, his clothes look like they're being worn to be practical, not to be stylish. When in reality, they're worn to be stylish and not to be practical. I think it's a bit of like the juxtaposition. Michael Caine always looked uh, dressed for fit for purpose. He could. Go to work in what he was wearing, and go to the pub at the end of the day, and still look the best dressed man in the room, and be suitably dressed for wherever he ended up. Which I imagine in the sixties he did because he was living with Terence Stamp, and I imagine those two out on the town together, they would have found themselves in all sorts of places. So if you had dress sense like Michael Caine, I imagine you would never look out of place. Kane's journey is nothing short of inspiring. He was born in 1933 in South London, and his family weren't well off. And he was forced to leave school at 16 to work in a variety of low-paying jobs. However, it was during this time he discovered his love for acting after visiting a local theatre with a girlfriend. In 1949, Michael Kane enlisted into the British Army for national service. Where he served for two years before returning to London and pursuing his passion for acting, he began taking evening classes while working odd jobs during the day. And after completing training, Kane began his professional acting career in productions like The Long and The Short and The Tall. And next time, I'll sing to you. He also made his way to the small screen, appearing in several television shows. Kane's breakthrough role came in 1964 when he played the lead in the film Zulu. Dwarfing the mightiest, towering over the greatest, Josephine Levine presents Zulu. These are the days and nights of fury and honor, of courage and cowardice that an entire century of empire making and film making can never surpass. This is the day when 200 Zulu maidens and 200 Zulu warriors perform their incredible mass wedding dance. This is the day when a woman fights for her honor, among men fighting for their lives. You're all going to die. The movie was a massive success and opened the door for Kane to take on more prominent roles in British cinema. When it comes to Michael Caine and the character of James Bond, there's so many different parallels, and I'll go into it deeper later on. But one in particular, a great parallel, a triangle, if you will, between Michael Caine, um, James Bond, and John Barry. Of course, John Barry wrote lots of music for the James Bond series, most of it, in fact. But、um, Michael Caine, who was living with Terence Stamp. They'd both fallen out, or they just both got fed up living with each other. And Michael Caine moved out,、um, and John Barry, who was Michael Caine's close friend, took him in.、Um, and Michael Caine apparently said he couldn't sleep because John was up all night playing the piano and composing something. 
Um, in the morning, Michael went downstairs and said, uh, John, would you like some coffee? And uh, John said, I've done it, I've finished. And Michael said, what? What have you finished? He went, listen to this. And it was the theme tune for Goldfinger. And Michael Caine was the first person that ever heard it.
Ray Charles, what I'd say, part one and two. You're listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, right here on The Face Radio for this ultimate final show. Now, uh, a bit of live news for you. Um, you may have read some of my articles I've written before for Detail Magazine, and it is always an absolute honor to be featured in those uh, writing about style, as I sometimes get to. Um, it's an amazing modernist magazine. If you've not heard of them, go and check them out. But I have the news that they are putting on a live event celebrating 60 years of mod culture, an afternoon talking mod style, mod books, and mod clubs. Uh, there's going to be various different panels, and I will be on the mod style panel. Um, and that is going to be in London on the 29th, 29th of March uh, on Great Porton Street. Uh, tickets can be found over at uh, Detail Magazine over on Instagram, or you can go and get them at uh, New Untouchables over on Instagram as well. Um, it's in association with Modstock. It's going to be a brilliant event. I can't wait to do it. Um, it's an honour to be asked, to be honest, because some of the people on that panel um, I love and they're just great minds, so it would be brilliant to work alongside them. Uh, there's going to be all sorts of people, Eddie Piller, Polly Love, to name but a few. So please do come along, come and say hello, and join in on a fantastic afternoon celebrating 60 years of mod culture in London this March. See you there. Go over to Detail Magazine for more info. A moment I'm going to play for you now, one of my favourite moments from one of the past shows, is um, from a guest, and it is Andrew Lindsay of Mod Shoes. So he is the sponsor, and he is also a very good friend of mine. I love Andy. Um, I always have a laugh with him whenever I get to speak to him, whether it's on the show or not, or in person, having a pint. Andy is... Uh, such a nice guy, and he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to music and clothing. And he's so passionate, which often um, turns out into some very funny moments. And here, in this next clip, um, Andy was on for the West Coast Style special, talking all things Americana, Beach Boys, and that kind of thing. And we were talking about the recent Glastonbury uh, broadcast that had been on, uh, in particular, Rick Astley. I thought it was quite a funny moment. Here, give it a listen. And I'm, I've got loads more to watch. Did talk just go digression? Did you see Rick Astley's uh, do the Smiths thing? I did, and I, we even joked at work that Rick Astley's fashion sense now is exactly how I dress. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of had a realization, apart from the pink suit that he had on. He yeah. was wearing a Cuban shirt open with a white T-shirt underneath, chinos, and I was like, for God's sake. <laughs> but he was, I do know. He looked he, very cool, though. <laughs> he couldn't have been, when we were kids in the 80s, he couldn't have been more naff. Mm. You know, he was as naff as Nassville, do you know what I mean? And together forever, you know, it's a, you know, and the other one, I'm never going to give you up. You know, they were massive pop hits. Yeah, do, do, yeah. do you know what I mean? And and but I've listened to him in like two or three podcasts on Rock on Tours, you know, and things like that. And he just comes over as the nicest person ever. Mm. You know, and a proper musician as well. You know, and stuff like that. It doesn't. He got a punk band with his friends, and they yes. practice in the in his gar- uh, garage, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. They, they play jam songs when they go out live and stuff like that. Apparently, oh. you know, and uh, they sort of play pubs and things and just sort of yeah. enjoy. it. So he's obviously he's into it, and I suppose 
I suppose this is what happens, you know, people just become, you know, become famous. And so people like us go, you know, and mm. we shouldn't do, you know, because they're probably just as nice a guys, you know. And um, but anyway. Um, yeah. But anyway, hmm, Andy, they're covering up very politely that I had been compared to uh, Rick Astley. Well done, Andy. Thank you very much. Andy will be doing more stuff with me in the future, no doubt, because I love Andy, and whenever I get to work with him, it's always an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much, Andy, if you are listening. Now, moving on to another style icon. We had Michael Caine earlier, and now it is, of course, shot glasses at the ready, the drinking game begins, because it is Michael... Not Michael Caine, Steve McQueen. I ruined my own joke, didn't I? It's Steve McQueen. And uh, joining me on this one... Uh, is another good friend of mine, Simon Parr of Heritage Brands. He sales agent extraordinaire and clothing guru. Me and Simon could talk about Steve McQueen forever. So it was an absolute pleasure to get him on a show. Um, again, I know si- me, Simon and Andy are a bit of a trio. Uh, I love Simon. He's always been so kind to me and it's always a pleasure having him on a show. So getting him on to talk about Steve McQueen was a dream come true. Here it is. Why is his style, sorry, timeless in your own words? Why do you think it's timeless? I think it's timeless because he uh, he just wears, I don't want to say classic pieces because mm. I think when you say classic, it, it sounds a bit old fashioned. But um, I just think he wears such timeless pieces. So we, if you talk about Harrington or a white T-shirt or a denim shirt or a pair of chinos, these, these are sort of basic wardrobe essentials. Yeah. But it's just the way that he wears them, you know, and, and um, any picture of him, well, certainly in the, the early 60s to the to the late 60s, he just looks so cool. He's not wearing, well, I suppose they had branded clothing in those days. He, he doesn't wear a sweatshirt with a massive logo splattered across it. Mm. it it's just very, very simple, simple styles. And it's just the way that uh, he puts them together. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a difficult, difficult question to answer. He just totally gets it right, but it's difficult to to know how he gets it right. It's just kind of effortless, and he? he could wear anything and kind of look cool. It's the way I guess he carries the look, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of thought that goes into it, but it just looks like. I mean, the, the Italians have a word for it, don't they? It's called sprezzatori, where. Mm. He's just gone into the wardrobe and taken the first thing that he's seen, but of course he hasn't. He's, he's thought about what he's wearing and yeah. how he's how he's putting it together. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you know my theory about the sixties, where I think everything was was right, whether it was clothing, cars, architecture, yeah. it just all seemed to work. And then yeah. you get to the seventies, and it all goes horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think a good companion while you're listening to this episode. Is a book we've both got in our hands, haven't we? Um, you reminded me I owned it, actually, and it's a fantastic book. It's called Just Steve McQueen, and it's by William Claxton. It's a series of photographs, isn't it? Yeah. He's basically, uh, William Claxton was a photographer, and he started off photographing jazz musicians like Chet Baker. Uh, so he went around taking black and white photographs of, of them. And in 1962, he was commissioned by Life magazine to take pictures of Natalie Wood. So he turns up on set to take photographs of her. And, of course, her co-star is Steve McQueen. And he famously puts his hand out to, to shake Steve's hand, and Steve didn't put his hand out. He just gave him a glare. 
you know that's, that's how cool he was and apparently they they got to know each other and got, got to be good friends and and he just followed him around and just took loads and loads of pictures which as you say are in this book i mean you can still buy the book um it's a fantastic book mm. every picture the black and white pictures uh he's got it all in there he, he's wearing levi's wrangler barracuda i mean the the front cover is him wearing a Barracuda. And, and I know I've said this before, but when I used to work for Barracuda, we'd go to a trade show and we would have that book. Mm. You weren't allowed to use his image. The The family wouldn't let you use the image. Whereas now we can screen capture images and use them on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. But, but then 2007, you weren't allowed to use his image, but we could have the book on the stand and people would come on and go, oh, Steve McQueen. And, oh, yeah, he, he used to wear Barracuda. Has Barracuda, do you know, ever tried to kind of do a collaboration with them at all? Have they ever been approached? They um, they did a collaboration with Barber. Mm, of course, uh, yeah, yeah. They also, uh, as far as I know, did one with Bellstaff and apparently they had the samples already made and it for some reason it didn't go through but but certainly the barber one did but mm. no um we did do one barracuda and we had a picture of steve mcqueen so we'd sort of yeah it, it wasn't part of the family but it, it was sort of you know associated with him shall we say i guess you wouldn't need to kind of do a collaboration would you because it's like that is the jacket he wore so you won't need to kind of tailor it to the one he used to wear because it's still the exact same jacket i guess that's what it's got up on kind of barber and bell stuff hasn't it it's really kind of stuck to what it was yeah absolutely and i think what would what would have happened uh in america uh barracuda licensed the brand out to van Heusen, mm. and they they would have made uh the harrington jacket in america and their offices were in the empire state building and um yeah, that's probably where he would have got it and Elvis would have got it and, you know, Frank Sinatra because yeah. a lot of the American actors <clears throat> wore the Barracuda G9. Mm. A, a look that I really like in the William Claxton book is the the shawl he's got on. I would yeah. love it, whatever that shawl is, I would love to know and I'd love one just well, like that. But it's so nice. Do you know? No, but of course there's the famous picture. Yeah. <laughs> <which laughs> you know. So... Anyone who buys the book, have a look at the picture. There's a, there's him wearing the shawl cardigan. Now, uh, William must have, you know, been peeping over the wall where, let's say, Steve McQueen was uh, having a natural break, <laughs> and, and he uh, he took a photograph of, uh, and Steve's got something in his hand. So I think I'll leave it there. But yeah, yep. you you just don't realise what's going on until you look really closely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the shawl cardigan with the chinos with the the Playboy boots and the white T-shirt. It's just such a cool look. Yeah. The book as well shows how off how he wasn't just kind of, he wasn't just an actor. He was almost a character off off screen as well, wasn't he? Like he raced motorbikes, he raced cars. And well, that's, I mean, you, one of your questions was going to be, you know, why is he the king of cool? Mm. And I <clears> think it's probably because all the blokes want to be him. I mean, he's a real man's man. All the women want to be with him. Yeah. And, all the blokes want to be him because yeah. you're right. He's a famous actor. He's starting to earn money. He's buying really cool cars. He's buying motorbikes. You know, when he's not working, he's racing motorbikes in the desert. Yeah. You know, just, just such a cool guy. Now in the 20 years of our show, I've often been scared. 
When I accepted this invitation from Steve McQueen to go riding with him in his dune buggy, I wasn't scared. I was dumb. I want to show this to you. Steve, Steve McQueen. Hi, Ed. Just fine. They told me that I'd find you out on the uh, desert. But what's this... this What's this boat motorcycle been on the desert? Well, it's kind of a sport that, uh, here in California in the Is that desert. So? Yeah, I've got something over the hill here that you may be interested in. It's called a sand dune buggy. A sand dune buggy? Yeah, I'd like you to have you come and take a ride with me. I'd be delighted to. Well, come on, step into my office. Boy, this is a wild-looking machine. Come on, jump in. Steve, I understand you helped design this. Well, yes, I did. I did help. You ready to go? Yeah. Okay, here we go.
Fraser with Over You. You're listening to a cut above the ultimate final show right here on the Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy. I'm on Instagram at Tom Hoy Style, on Twitter at Tom the Mob DJ, and over on Facebook at my page, Tom Hoy. We had the first bit of Steve McQueen talk there, didn't we? And I told you to get your shot glasses at the ready because it will turn into a drinking game. And it's not going to stop there because this next clip um, was the second of a show. Um, and it was with my guest and very good, uh, well, my best mate, Ollie Davis, who I um, will make a, a bit of an announcement now, who I will be presenting my new show with um, on the face radio. And I can't wait for it. Me and Ollie always have just such a good dynamic, I think. Um, and it just makes sense for us to do a show together, really. It was doing the last one um, when we did uh, Front Men. I just, we kind of realised how much we enjoyed it. Obviously, we see each other all the time, but actually sitting down and recording something together, we thought, we've both got all this knowledge in terms of music and films and kind of clothes. Why don't we just put it together and work together? And also, it makes it so much easier for me doing it with someone. Um, so selfishly, we're doing, I'm doing a show with Ollie as well. But... Uh, I, dig- I digress because uh, this next clip is me and Ollie talking about one of our favourite films, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the style within that film. And it's um, absolutely, if you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. It is amazing. And in particular here, we were talking about Steve McQueen and uh, the comparisons uh, between him and uh, Jake Cahill, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, and Damien Lewis playing Steve McQueen in the movie. Give it a listen. Looking at nods at other actors then, I think a really cool one that's in the film and off the film, off screen as well, is the similarities between um, uh, Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio and Steve McQueen. And um, I've actually heard Tarantino reference the whole role as um, uh, uh, Rick Dalton, the man who would be McQueen, because he's almost chasing after him, isn't he? Like there's, there's a few instances in the film where you can tell he's... Maybe not so much envious of um, Steve McQueen, but he's kind of like, that should have been me, that could well, have been me. It's even right down to that bit where it's really obvious where they've just uh, dropped him in, uh, Rick Dalton, into the uh, the Great Escape, haven't they? Yeah. Well, talking to I, the, I mean, I told you like guards. how happy I was in the cinema. <laughs> and I was like, I think my smile was so wide across my face. The Great Escape was my favourite. That's got favorite. to be one of my favourites. Oh, just, my like, God. It's Captain and he pulls his collar it's just, off. It's so cool. Hey, Rick, I gotta ask you something I heard about. Was it true you almost got the McQueen part in The Great Escape? Hills, isn't it? Captain Hills, actually. 17 escape attempts. 18. Never had an audition. Never had a meeting. Never met John Sturgis. So, no, I don't think you could say I, I almost got the part. Tunnelman, engineer. Flyer. I suppose what's called in the American Army a hotshot pilot. But. Story goes, uh, for a brief moment, McQueen almost passed on the movie, and during that brief moment, I apparently was on, on the list of four. You have other plans? I haven't seen Berlin yet from the ground or from there, and I plan on doing both before the war's over. You and who? Me and, me and three Georges. Which three Georges? Papard, Maharis, and Shakaris. Oh, man. Yeah. That's gotta hurt. Yeah, well, I didn't get it. McQueen did it, and frankly, I... Never had a chance. <laughs> Ten days isolation hills. Captain hills. Twenty days. 
Right. Oh, uh, you'll still be here when I get out. Cooler. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously Tarantino had to break his CGI rule mm. for that, but you can't even tell that CGI, can you? No, like, it's, it's incredible how they've done it. But um, Ridiculous. Yeah. <clears throat> it just shows you, doesn't it? It does that little nod to like, oh, well, you know, he's a bit of along the lines of Steve McQueen. and But yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's just... Because there's, there's certain points in the film, isn't it, where he's like really highlighting that. I mean, like there's the Great Escape one, of course. Um, there's the kind of like the FBI episode at the mm. end. Uh, which he's playing a, a, a Burt Reynolds role, but they've made it very kind of um, Steve McQueen in the sense mm. that he's he's wearing a barracuda. He's got like the white polo shirt underneath the uh, the chinos and the boots. It's very Steve McQueen, mm. and it's like the barracuda is a signifier of like movie hero, isn't it? And Tarantino's department, whether that was his decision or his kind of costume department, know that. They've placed that in the film, and there's another point where there's another barrack. Sorry, I could go on about barracuda yeah, a lot, but no. there's another barracuda in the film. It's in the Italian film, isn't it? Um, which That's is it. almost almost hinting at like an Italian job style film, isn't it? And driving like a mini, isn't yeah, it? yeah, Italian yeah, job. And I think it's a bit of a nod to like Bullet as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Which yeah. is another Steve McQueen role. But no, it's really cool. And um, so I, I did touch on this on the last episode of the show mm. with Simon Powell when we did the Steve McQueen special, but. Obviously, um, Damien Lewis is in the film playing Steve McQueen. What did you think of his portrayal? I think his, it's pretty cool. It seems to get that. Obviously, from what you get from Steve McQueen in his interviews and when you see him actually on screen, um, I think he just he comes across as that almost like quiet, calculated guy at the back of the room. Yeah. But you can imagine you get him in front of the camera and he'll, he'll take control. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, Damien Lewis trail's amazing like even down to the wardrobe he's wearing as well black yeah. leather jacket white jeans yeah um perfect and i think the other character he talks to in that scene is um meant to be his wife isn't it uh neil yeah yeah um, yeah and uh yeah it's just even like because we were talking about their kind of relationship was a bit bit of a uh it's free and uh, uh, one, wasn't it like so but, mcqueen really got into <clears throat> the hippie movement and uh kind uh, and i think neil I mean, she's living with Steve McQueen. You're married to Steve McQueen. Mm. He's going to be a handful. He's going to be trouble. She almost kind of had to give in to him and let him have affairs and all that, whether she wanted to or not. And it wasn't until it kind of went the other way that it mm. kind of annoyed him. But it, it kind of... But I feel like they really capture that. In yeah, that scene, yeah, Even yeah. just from that small exchange. The way he really talks fondly about Sharon Tate right yeah. in front of her. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. It's, uh... But... Um, there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic portrayal of Steve McQueen. Down to the, like, there's even a look that he does in between, I think Neil says something to him and he does almost like a smirk look up. Mm. And that's exactly a McQueenism. Like, it's like definitely what he does. Uh, I don't know. Well, they called him a young Steve McQueen, I think, when he did all the, uh, Band, the of Brothers. Band of Brothers, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, I mean, he does look like him, weirdly. And mm. I, it wasn't until like I watched Band of Brothers again recently and you really notice it. <laughs> you really notice it. And I don't know if that's because he's in like a leather jacket, like similar to what McQueen wore in A Great Escape. But you kind of like, I don't know. He's just so suited for that role. Mm. And I, I, before uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I did always think he'd be great in a biopic of, of McQueen yeah, yeah. or someone like that. Son of a loving man. Um, I was with Ollie Davis there, who I'll be presenting my new show with uh, very soon. Uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ben. Um, all the comparisons with Steve McQueen, 
said Steve McQueen again. That's uh, I said it again. So that's two shots you got to take. But uh, moving on now to probably my favorite character of all time. One I became obsessed with when I was far too young. And it is, of course, James Bond. I first saw James Bond when I was far too, too young to kind of I was to, to see it. I was way too young to have meant to have seen the films. I didn't understand any of the references. All the kind of the innuendos went straight over my head. But one thing was for certain. I was obsessed with how cool the guy was. The kind of the clothes, the car, everything. I loved him. And the first film I saw was Goldfinger. Um, probably the most iconic spy film of all time. I was obsessed. The opening where he's in the um, scuba diving equipment, he plants the bomb, takes off the, uh, the scuba diving equipment, and all of a sudden he's in this white tuxedo and looks amazing. What is not to love? Um, amazing film from start to finish. Um, and, yeah, I became absolutely hooked with James Bond ever since. And I've, I am a self-proclaimed... Bond nerd. So I had to, of course, make an episode. I wasn't sure what to, what clip to play from this episode, so I went with Daniel Craig, uh, the clip where, or the part of the show where I, I speak about Daniel Craig. Honestly, I remember Daniel Craig being announced as James Bond. I can't remember how old I was at the time, but I was quite young. And I remember being... I was so happy because it was a blonde James Bond. I was like, I can't believe it. I am one step closer to being James Bond. My life was made. Um, yeah, and as you'll hear, I really like Daniel Craig. Well, there is, of course, just one more James Bond to cover. For now, anyway. If you're listening to this in the future, there might be five more. Let's hope, anyway. But it is, of course, time to discuss Daniel Craig. Now... I loved Daniel Craig's performance as James Bond, and I will. I am actually very, very sad to see him go. I think in terms of style, it's really interesting, because compared to other Bonds, I think his style has progressed and it's evolved. What I really like about Daniel Craig is he took a kind of a seat as a producer on the films and really kind of shaped the way the films were, and he wanted to make something different, but still being true to the roots of James Bond. I remember when he took the role, and um, particularly in Skyfall, I think it was, he said that he wanted to kind of look like a man that was a serving MI6 agent and the kind of part of the Royal Navy, and he wanted to have the same fitness levels as someone that was a um, acting serviceman. So he trained and and did the same sort of stuff you would um, in a kind of in basic training. So he understood his role, which is. Commitment at its finest, isn't it? I mean, if you've only if you've seen like the Knives Out and the Glass Onion films, you'll know what an amazing actor he is. He can go from doing something completely different to James Bond, and I think for a lot of people that do action films, they can very much remain in that role in every single film they're in. But Daniel Craig has just shown recently, in particular, I think, what a great actor he is because I think. It it's not kind of silly to think, for, I suppose, watching one of those, uh, one of his James Bond films that you think, oh, he's not really acting because it's quite kind of like a, a subtle performance. But I genuinely think what a great actor he is. I heard somewhere as well that Daniel Craig worked closely with the co- costume department and they kind of looked at archive pieces um, within British military surplus, kind of what 
um, people in the Royal Navy were wearing throughout the years. And he embodied that look into kind of James Bond. And what I thought was particularly great about uh, Craig's performance as Bond in terms of his costume is that, yes, sometimes it was maybe too extensive and uh, you thought, like, how is he getting all these outfits in such a small suitcase? But um, the look was kind of definitely fitting with that, uh, with the... um, a contemporary spy, I think. He didn't look too out there. He could, he wasn't always in his tuxedo. Again, kind of like Timothy Dalton, he was wearing the tuxedo if he really had to. But it was ne- none of his costumes, I would say, were done in a kind of caricatural way of what a spy should look like. Um, he dressed a lot in Drake's, which is a fantastic label based on Savile Row. Um, you can go and visit their shop. He's often dressed in T-shirts, jeans, knits, sweaters and leather jackets. And Craig even had a modern take on a classic Bond tuxedo in the film Skyfall with a midnight blue shawl lapel. Uh, he has also added unique touches like a cordray navy blue blazer and has worn several items from known brands, like I said, Drake's, but also Tom Ford and uh, Bruno Cincinelli Inspector. And a lot of Craig's look was obviously based on Steve McQueen. If you look at Steve McQueen kind of... Um, photo shoots Daniel Craig is wearing outfits exactly by him but what I think was is good about Daniel Craig's role it's kind of paying homage to that old action film style and bringing it into the modern age now for all you watch fans out there of course I have to mention Daniel Craig's watch now Daniel Craig has worn a variety of watches as James Bond but most notably the Omega Seamaster Planet Ocean 600 meter coaxial coronometer this stylish and functional timepiece has a stainless steel case a blue unidirectional rotating bezel luminous hands and markers and a blue leather strap it is also water resistant up to 600 meters and features an anti-magnetic nylon strap for more durability but is the movie world ready for the first blonde bond the bbc's david silito reports in a suitably Bond-like style because taking on 007 isn't simply taking on a new role it's the heart of cinema's longest running franchise the guns, girls and evil geniuses are all easy to come by the key to success is whether people take to this new Bond I want to make the best film we can the most entertaining film we can and it's not a question of redefining but it's a question of taking it somewhere maybe where it's never gone before going out. So who is Daniel Craig? Well, roles in drama such as Our Friends in the North established him as a serious actor. He's also appeared with Gwyneth Paltrow in Sylvia, the movie Lair Cake and Archangel. Women to be here, too many coincidences. But it was his mum who, yesterday, confirmed his next and most important role. It was Sean Connery, more than 40 years ago, who defined 007. Then came, briefly, George Lazenby. Then it was Roger Moore. After that, Timothy Dalton. Some have been more successful than others, but the most recent, Pierce Brosnan, has been both popular and profitable. So, Daniel Craig takes on 40 years of Bond heritage and Bond fans. Daniel Craig's going to prove a very fine Bond. I think critics are going to like him. It's a question whether audiences will take to him. I think they will. The test is the next movie, Casino Royale. And while we've got a British Bond, 
The movie is going to be filmed in the Czech Republic. I remember, it's funny to think back really, that when Daniel Craig was announced as James Bond, I remember like radio presenters taking the mic because... Uh, making fun of him because he had blonde hair, which seems ridiculous now. It just wouldn't happen. Just because he evolved in such an amazing bond and he, he surpassed people's expectations of what they expected, really. They just thought he was going to be rubbish because he wasn't Pierce Brosnan, I think, really, and because he didn't have jet black hair and he didn't fit into that stereotype of what people expected Bond to be. But you know what? I think he's a great Bond. Yeah. Now. <laughs> Don't you think he's too small, too ugly? <laughs> That's what they said, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, you know. I bet you allow yourself a rather large smile of satisfaction, though, aren't you? Um, I, yeah, in a way, but it, I, it's a, the thing is that would sort of suggest that I entertained what was going on that back then. So I just, we just, when, you know, I got the sort of the negative criticism came along, I just, I thought, well, you know what, we've got to make the best movie we can, yeah. and that's it, uh, and concentrate on that. And... That's what we did. I put my did, head down. Did you have, when they came and asked you to, to be the next Bond, did you have any second thoughts about it? Did you wonder about A few. Did you? Yeah. What, 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 what was it based on, the, the doubt? I'm, I've been working sort of steadily for the past three or four years on stuff that I've, that I've been, you know, I'm very proud of. And I've been kind of handpicking roles to a certain extent. And believe me, I mean, I, as a child, I, yeah, I dreamt of being James Bond. I think me and a million, million other kids <laughs> dreamt of being it. But... As an adult, it just never was, it was not on my radar. And as, a, as an actor, I just, I, I thought, well, you know, it's very nice. And I got this call and they said, come along. And I said, thank you, that's lovely. I'm very honored, but what the hell are you on about? This is sort of, you know, craziness. And um, they, you know, I mean, the fact is that it was Casino Royale. And that in itself was the biggest, seemed to me the biggest opportunity. Why? because, Well, I think because we had the chance to take it back and have a look and find out where he came from and discover a little it's more about it. It's the first him. Bond, sorry. Yeah, and, that's and the first Ian Fleming novel. That's right. And it's, yeah. uh, what he's introduced. So therefore, all the stuff, that, the, the cliché, if you like, that becomes James Bond later on. No, we could maybe discover those clichés. <laughs> you discover the they yeah. It's embryonic. Yeah. And, that was, and, and he is a different Bond. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's harder, he bleeds, mm -hmm. uh, he falls in love. Mm -hmm. uh, he's much more vulnerable in that sense. And much tougher in many ways, too. Well, I, 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 for me, it was sort of a question of him because we have this fantastic love story, and Eva Green, who, who plays Vesper Lind in the movie, and who's fantastic. I wanted to. I, it seemed to me that the only way to be able to show that he was going to fall in love was to show that he made mistakes and that he, he screwed up a bit, that he didn't, you know, that he didn't have a handle on life, and that, wanting to discover who James Bond is a bit kind of later on in the movie. And if, if we just sort of had this guy who was. You know, who just was made of steel from the beginning, then how, how could he have his heart broken? Yes.
Dorothy Ashby with Come Live With Me. I love Dorothy Ashby, especially on a Sunday. You are, of course, listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, for this ultimate final show where I'm playing some of my favorite moments from over the last year on the show. That was um, just then. We spoke about James Bond um, and uh, the part of the show that I covered uh, just then was speaking about Daniel Craig. Um, yeah, I love Daniel Craig. Um, I think he's brought something new to James Bond and uh, what a great body of work he had there um, maybe not Quantum of Solace as much but you know me and Ollie actually disagree on that a bit Ollie has a Ollie loves Quantum of Solace I don't dislike it but I don't I don't know it's more of a Jason Bourne film for me than a James Bond film anyway say what you like I can hear Ollie somewhere moaning about that but yeah anyway you're listening to a cut above with me tom hoy right here on the face radio now one of my favorite episodes i did was an episode where i didn't have a guest but um i kind of challenged myself and i thought you know what i'll do a whole show dedicated to wardrobe essentials um and i thought quite an easy show um i'll just go through bits and bobs that i think make up an essential wardrobe and in this next clip, I cover two different items that I think you definitely need. And they are the Harrington jacket and a pair of chinos. There might be a uh, mention to you-know-who as well, so shot glasses at the ready. Here's the clip. And the next one is my most favourite item of clothing ever. And it is, of course, a Harrington jacket, but not just any Harrington jacket. The premier Harrington jacket, which is the Barracuda G9. Now, the story of the Barracuda Harrington jacket begins in 1937 with the establishment of the Barracuda brand by the Miller brothers, John and Isaac, in Manchester, England. Now, I pass the original factory quite a lot, and I get tingles every time. The brothers developed the G9 jacket, which would later become the iconic Harrington jacket. The G9 was designed with both practicality and style in mind, featuring a distinctive Fraser tartan lining, a button collar and a signature umbrella back vent. It was originally, of course, a golf jacket. It was a jacket intended for golf, hence the G in the name. The Harrington jacket gained prominence during the 50s and 60s as it was adopted by various subcultures and celebrities. I know, Steve McQueen again, I know. The jacket's practical features, lightweight construction and versatility made it popular, uh, a popular choice for those seeking a stylish yet functional outerwear option. The Harrington jacket gained even more exposure when it was worn by Elvis Presley. Do you know where its name comes from though? Well, John Simons, who I'm a huge fan of and I only went to the shop a couple of weeks ago. Well, John Simons, a British menswear retailer, a fashion pioneer played a pivotal role in popularising the Harrington jacket and coining its name. Simons imported the G9 jacket from the United States and introduced it back into the British market in his store, which quickly became a hub for style-conscious individuals. John Simons would put the jacket in the window of his shop um, at the same time when the popular programme Paint and Place was on the screens and the character Rodney Harrington would always wear the G9 so Simons would put the jacket in his window and uh, with chalk or whatever would write um, the Harrington jacket or the Rodney Harrington jacket the name eventually got shortened to the Harrington jacket and the rest they say is history so thank you John for doing that one for giving it its, its brilliant name 
The Harrington jacket continued to be embraced by various subcultures and fashion enthusiasts throughout the decades. Its classic design has made it a favourite amongst celebrities, musicians and everyday individuals who appreciate its timeless aesthetic. It's my favourite item of clothing of all time. You look good every day in it, no matter where you end up. It will forever remain timeless. This is the continuing story of Peyton Place. Starring Dorothy Malone as Constance McKenzie. Warner Anderson as Matthew Swain. Ed Nelson as Michael Rossi. And Mia Farrow as Alison McKenzie. Now moving on now to another timeless essential that you need in your wardrobe. And it is of course a good pair of chinos. And now this is an outfit I wear a lot of the time, if not most of the time. Um, it is a barracuda and a really nice pair of chinos. A nice stone-coloured pair will go with just about anything in your wardrobe. Chinos are a versatile and timeless style of trousers that have a history that traces back to military origins and transcends into everyday fashion. The term chino originates from the Spanish word for Chinese, referencing the twill fabric that was originally produced in China and later became associated with the pants made from it. Chinos gained prominence in the mid-19th century when British and French colonial forces stationed in Asia saw lightweight and durable uniforms in four hot climates. The fabric's breathability and resilience made it sustainable for military wear, particularly in regions like India and the Philippines. Chinos found their way to the Western world as returning soldiers brought their comfortable and practical trousers back with them. In the United States, chinos gained popularity in the 20th century, initially again amongst military personnel and then among civilians who appreciated their functional attributes. I do always say all the best clothing always comes from military surplus. During the 30s and 40s though, chinos transitioned from military uniforms to casual trousers worn from everyday worn for everyday activities and you could see this on colleges and universities particularly those in ivy league colleges who embrace chinos as part of a more relaxed and practical dress code the comfortable and versatile nature of chinos made them suitable for various occasions from campus life to weekend outings the post-world war ii era had witnessed the mainstream popularity of chinos as they became associated with a laid-back yet put together style Hollywood actors such as James Dean and Marlon Brando helped elevate chinos uh, to a fashionable choice, wearing them in films and public appearances. Those two keep getting mentioned, like Steve McQueen, but for obvious reasons. They did so much for menswear, whether it was the wardrobe department that put them in them clothes, but even off-screen they looked so cool, just because uh, understated um kind of an understated outfit is what is cool I think and that just screams timelessness. Chinos remained a staple in men's wardrobes throughout later decades of the 20th century. Brands began to offer a wider range of colours and fits making chinos adaptable to various personal styles. The 20 the 21st century sorry also saw chinos become a versatile option for both formal and casual settings. Um and today chinos are embraced by individuals of all ages their enduring appeal lies in their combination of comfort practicality and versatility 
from military origins, of course, like we mentioned, to time to a timeless fashion choice, chinos have evolved whilst retaining their core attributes, making them essential as part of a modern wardrobe that works around the world. I think that's the the, the running theme, isn't it? With what a timeless wardrobe it, wardrobe is, really, isn't it? Those three things: comfort, practicality, and versatility. They definitely are for me. Stayed in bed all morning just to pass the time. There's something wrong here. There can be no denying. One of us is changing, or maybe we just stopped trying. And it's too.
King with It's Too Late. I'm Tom Hoy, and you're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio. Now, a style I have to mention because it is my all-time favourite style, and one that the more I get involved with it, the more I love it, the more years go by, I really get into it even more, and it is, of course, Ivy Style, which was um, an episode I got Simon Parr, um, back on the show to talk about it. Um, Simon is the same as me, just is absolutely obsessed with Ivy Style. Here's a clip from the show. Something about Ivy Style that I like is how it incorporates other styles as well. Like, obviously, the students in the later 60s and the, the, in the mid 60s were wearing kind of bits of surplus from Vietnam. And what I like about Woody Allen was when you see him in like a, a really nice button down shirt, but he's thrown like a jungle jacket on top. And they yeah. kind of clash, but it just looks proper cool. I think he does it yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, I think there's you can mix a lot. I mean, sweatshirts, obviously, they used to wear sweatshirts uh, for for gym and Converse and, you know, Jack Parcells and, and jeans. You know, there are lots of, lots of different items of clothing and different styles that, that are Ivy, you know, yeah. uh, all mixes together. And um, I know before you came on last night, you tagged me in a story of you reading all your different books on Ivy just in preparation. <laughs> and well, just as you caught me out, I thought I better do my homework. You know, <laughs> I out. mean, there's so many great books on Ivy style, isn't there? What are your, some of your favorites? Well, I managed to get a, a copy of take Ivy, which the original copy is worth an absolute fortune, but yeah, they, yeah. they reprinted it. So I've got that. My favorite is the, the Ivy look by uh, Graham Marsh. Yeah. Uh, like a little pocketbook it's it's absolutely brilliant and then the hollywood and the ivy uh funny enough again by graham marsh and then the, the new one that's just come out which is black ivy by yeah. jason and graham marsh yeah. uh, uh they're fantastic books and and i can sit and look through those all night and think oh i could wear that I yeah could. that's it isn't it i i often yeah. do that as well you see those pictures and you think tomorrow I ain't going to look or attempt to try and look as cool as that person in that picture. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Who are some, it, do you have some hot, like, uh, Ivy icons that you think of that picture-wise you look at, like a musician or anyone like that that you think they yeah. one of my favourite kind of yeah, pieces just of the Ivy style? Turning my page here, looking at my... <laughs> I mean, I know I've said it before, it, you know, it has to be Steve McQueen. Mm. In the, uh, you know, he's just so cool. Paul Newman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert Redford, mm-hmm. even Anthony Perkins, uh, again, Woody Allen, I said that, Sidney Poitier. I yeah. mean, there were so many 60s uh, film stars. Yeah. That look really cool. And then when you get on to, like, jazz musicians, uh, you, you've got, obviously, Miles Davis. But, yeah, you know, yeah. the jazz, jazz musicians in the... Um, in the sixties that they, they look really cool as well. And I think that's where a lot of the inspiration came from. I've spoke about this in the jazz episode of a cut above, but something I find very interesting is the fact that because it was all an aspirational look, jazz musicians were touring uh, the United States and picking up clothes at all these different shops. What a time to be alive. If you're a musician, you're playing all these cool colleges uh, and just shopping. That, That sounds like an absolute dream to me. And a few of the brands they would have been buying would have been Basswegian, Brooks Brothers, and just places kind of only the elite should have been shopping at, really. 
the three big ones for me are J Press, Baswegian, and Brooks Brothers, of course. So as I said, I recently visited J Press in Manhattan, and I went in the shop, and I fell in love. It's so cool. The people in there dressed amazingly. Um, I know this obviously goes out in Brooklyn, so if you are local to New York, um, I mean, I'm telling you, you live there, around the corner from Grand Central, the J Press shop, and the new Pennant shop that's just opened. It's a fantastic, well worth a visit. I just got a Yale sweatshirt from there. Um, and the quality is amazing. So, J Press uh, was founded in New Haven in 1902. Uh, 1902. Um, originally a men's clothing store, it expanded to both men's and women's clothing. The brand gained popularity in the 50s and 60s when Ivy League became fashionable on college campuses, of course. And today, J Press has several store locations and is recognized as a symbol of classic American style. And it's a shame it doesn't have shops here because I would be in them all the time. Now, there are some brands you can get here and a brand I wear every single day, more or less, is a Basswegian loafer. And they were founded in 1876 in Maine. And in 1936, they created the Basswegian Penny Loafer, which is the kind of the most kind of obvious or not obvious, the most... Uh, the most famous shoe, I guess I'm trying to say. A shoe inspired by the Norwegian moccasin design. The shoe's name comes from the idea of a penny being inserted into the diamond-shaped cutout on the front of the shoe. The Norwegian gained popularity in the 1950s and 60s with the jazz musicians and the Ivy Leaguers at the colleges, of course. And over the years, the Norwegian has been worn by countless celebrities, politicians and even royalty. Today... It remains a classic and versatile shoe in men's and women's fashion. Jazz musicians obviously adopted this look and they became the look. They took it to a new level and put it in popular culture. It was no longer just for the elite. If you wanted to be aspirational, Ivy League was the look for you. And one of those people that embodied the look was, of course, Thelonious Monk. And we're going to hear a record by him now. And it is, of course, Monk's Dream.
Take 8 by Thelonious Monk. You're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy. And now for the next clip. Um, every now and then we put Andy and Simon together and when we're all together, it we just kind of... The, the chemistry between us all is always really good and there's always lots of laughs, lots of jokes and lots of kind of friendly banter between us, which you will hear just now in the clip I'm going to play you from... The Vintage Clothing Special, which was a great show where we looked at kind of where to go and buy clothes from vintage, um, hints and tips to finding them, because Simon and Andy are absolute kind of experts when it comes to vintage shopping, as you will hear. We were in the middle of a conversation talking about the modern day uh, vintage shopping and how it differs to the past. And Andy, as you're about to hear, was about to ask Simon his thoughts on how it has changed compared to how it used to be. Ask the question, Andy. Go on. In terms of the vintage shopping, though, Simon, I mean, is do you do you feel you found more bargains back in the day, or or is it do you feel that there's more choice now? I mean, you go to when we go to car boot sale, you know, there's lots of other people who are obviously all into the same thing and the sort of sort of churn going on. Did you yeah. know what I mean? You... Really good question, because if you think about it, in 1980, 1981, when I was into the mod scene, the 60s was only 15 years. <laughs> really. So you're thinking we're talking vintage clothing would only yeah. have been like 15 years, where now it's 60 years old. So yeah. you've got lots of... So 
vintage clothing now is sort of 80s and 90s, really. I mean, it's 90s clothing, vintage clothing now, I think so. Well, it's funny because when I, I was growing up, my my brother and sister were born in the 80s. So I had all their hand-me-downs, but there was all these kind of LS, uh, feeler and all that kind of stuff, like track tops, which yeah, funny because like now if I, I go into a shop in Manchester, a vintage one, you'll see them going for like hundreds of pounds and you think, yeah. if I had them still, I'd, exactly. I'd be sat on a No, there'd be one side problem, Tom. They would be far too small. Yeah, they would. I, yeah, I was probably too. There'll be someone. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what um, what kind of vintage places, vintage shops have you been to at the moment then, like looking forward? what what uh, What's a vintage shop that you kind of, you both look forward to going to or will maybe make a point of going to if you're near Well, it? Well, Andy's just mentioned one, Sue Ryder in Peterborough. Mm. which yeah. is run by our friend Beth. And it is brilliant, honestly. Apparently what happens is all the Sioux riders send all the cool stuff to, to this one in Peterborough. And uh, the menswear section is amazing. Again, we're talking about tweed coats. And this uh, is specifically a vintage Sioux rider, isn't it? It's not like the others. Yeah. It's a cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's it's, another one in Leicester, isn't it, Simon? I think there's, I think there's two, two vintage ones. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think that's good. Um, I mean, vintage market. There's one in the cathedral in Peterborough that's that's always quite good. Yeah, the, the shop I like, Simon, is the shop where we um, where we got guy got his Harrington's because there's about two or three just in a row there in Brighton. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, Brighton yeah. is Brighton is brilliant, mm. but you always find the gems. You know, we'll be on the train home and you'll get your little bag out and you'll have an original. God knows where you find them. Um, hmm. Certainly, when you go to Camden, you go and see your mate. What's his name down the stables? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not what you know, is it? You're not sharing that oh, one, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but what what have you both bought recently then that you um you you oh, particularly been, pleased of? With? I'm obsessed with the uh, tweed coats. So I've got a a Dunham Co tweed coat that got the classic car boot sale, and it was only forty quid. And I thought, oh, what a bargain! I tried it on, and it had a hole in the shoulder. Uh-huh. The bloke the bloke said, "You do realise there's a hole?" I went, "Oh no!" But so I got off the train, went straight round to see my mum and she darned it and you'd never know it was there. Wow. So at the moment, that's my favourite vintage piece. And it's done the job. Oh, yeah. Oh, brilliant. And Andy's showing us something now, but this is radio, Andy, so explain it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it just, a, it's but, just a yellow um, Harrington windshielder. It's got, it's got no um, inner lining. It's a classic sort of, um, you know, early 60s. It says Barry... Barry Dolan, do you know that name, Simon? Barry no, Dolan? No, no. Barry Manilow. I don't Barry Manilow's <laughs> own label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we're... Um... Oh, no, my favourite, I will top I will top trump you there. Sorry, Andy. So I went to Cambridge to this vintage shop and uh, there was like a three-button mod suit there and I was, I was really looking at it and the guy said, he said, oh, I've got one upstairs you might be interested in. He said, I was going to have it myself. So he brought it down. And it was a Bill Gorey. I mean, anyone knows that back in the day, in the 60s, Harry Bill Gorey, he did all the, the mod suits. And it, in the label, it said 1964, and it was a Harry Bill Gorey. And I was like, oh, my God. And he said, I said, how much? He said, well, 40 quid. I thought, well, yeah. I snapped his arm off. So I've still got it now. But, yeah, Harry Bill I've, Gorey. I've, I think one of my that's really nice. Because, Simon, when you, you do the trick, obviously, you look inside the – the, po- the, the inside pocket, don't yeah. You? yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, when I've got um, there's a guy who helps uh, does uh, retro festivals, uh, Malcolm he is, and he said, I think this jacket will fit you. 
and no word of a lie, he pulled out a, um, a two-tone, three-button, perfect skinhead, no, you know, I... jacket. Yeah, and, and I was like, put it on, and it fitted. And I was like, thank you, God. And when I got it inside and turned out the thing, it said um, uh, tailored in 1971 and in what? London. So I was like, some skinhead, yeah. original suedehead had that jacket, so you know. That's cool. I was it's, yeah, great. I was... it's great when you find things like that, isn't it? You yes. Know? Yeah, I've yeah. got a another well, London Fog Harrington. It's the same colour as that jacket you just showed, Andy. It's nice lemon. And inside, um, it just says Mr. A. And like, I want to know who was Mr. A? What was he doing in the 60s? And what, what was his story? But it's really cool, isn't it? Just it, it's a, yeah. Like great to know that it it is like a story and it someone else loved it before you did. I think that's the probably the best yeah, thing about yeah. vintage fashion, isn't it? Yeah, I mean uh, uh, the Holy Grail of Harrington's really is the the James Dean one, which was uh, made by McGregor. Mm. I bought one in urban, and it was like uh, it was thirty quid, and in the sale for fifteen quid, and. Um, I couldn't believe it, but the person behind the counter had no idea what it was, you know, but it, yeah. it wasn't red. It was uh, like a tan colour, but hello. Oh, here we go. He's got a London fog. I've got several eyes. <laughs> Matrimony, but if you act all right, oh, you can take me out tonight. We could wine and dine and get back in time for the last train to San Fernando. Last train to San Fernando. Last train to San Fernando. If you miss this one, you'll never get another one. Welcome back. You are, of course, listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, 
right here on The Face Radio for this ultimate final show, looking back at the past year and playing some of my favourite clips. Now, this next clip is from the last show, and it is with my best friend, Ollie Davis, and we are looking at our favourite frontmen, um, and it is a... Well, we're both Beatles-obsessed, so for this one, we thought we had to talk about Lennon and McCartney. Um, I always tell the story with clothing and uh, me a few years ago when I was going through my proper Beatles phase um, and me and my friend not Ollie but me and my friend were walking down Deansgate which is the kind of uh, the main kind of shopping street in 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 Manchester we're walking down there and uh, we walked past a couple of men that were dressed like Peaky Blinders which seemed to be the craze then it still is a bit but right then that was the absolute craze in men's fashion and we both kind of were like, what is it with all these men dressing like Peaky Blinders? It looks stupid. We then took a moment and thought, you know what? We look like we've just left Abbey Road. We too were dressing up. Anyway, yeah, so here's the clip of me and Ollie. We couldn't reduce this one down to one person, so we're going for two, and... It's not just late 60s, it's the whole 60s. They took over the 60s and they took over the world. And it is, of course, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Uh, have you heard of these before? Maybe. Maybe Paul. I think not sure on the other guy. They were born in London <laughs> in uh, 1957, I think. And then, But yeah, no, they're from Liverpool, actually. Uh, but yeah. It's <laughs> that, that little town in the north of England, Liverpool. Yeah. I think it's safe to say we're both fans of their work, aren't we? Yes, uh, to put it mildly, yeah. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's hard just to. I mean, for most of these, I've been saying to you, when you think of like this person, what mm. comes to mind in terms of clothing, but the Beatles had so many different looks that it's um, hard to narrow it down just to one favourite, isn't it? What, yeah. But, Let's talk about an era then. In terms of the Beatles, when it comes to clothing, what what so era do you like my, best? My kind of favourite era is their middle, like, 65, mm. mainly 66 era. Um, so Revolver's my my favourite album. Of me all. too. I'd I'm going to be boring my... and sound like I'm just saying, like, yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah. But yeah, no, I agree. It's, for me, that's my favourite album, I'd say, of all time. That's like my Desert Island album. Yeah. You know, I can... Because I'm on a, a real like rabbit hole with revolver at the moment. I've listened to it a couple of times a day for the past week now. <laughs> so I'm really well, the thing is about that the album track, though, yeah. there is literally a song for every mood on yeah, there, yeah. isn't it? You don't often get that with an album. And it's no, not, it's not all just one speed. It's not. It's it's literally got everything on there. Yeah, you'd and want. It's, you can they're crossing over to that. You know that Sergeant Pepper and the late later Beatles period. But this that album really captures that like experimental nature with all the backwards guitars, the tape yep. loops, the, you know, just trying to reinvent the recording studio, which people weren't really doing then. It was just like, no. you know, you go in, you make your record, you know, you, you record it in three hours. There's your single that's done. Any tracks you got left, well, just stick them on the album, you know, whereas the Beatles are changing the format of that, you know, and yeah, for me, it's that's my favorite era. And clothes wise as well. There's a great picture of McCartney. I should have included it on here. Um, of him sitting down, I think he's he's about to play like the solo for Taxman that he plays. He's sitting down with his Epiphone Casino, one of my favourite guitars of all time. Um, he's got a great just like um, I'm not sure if I can't remember if it's a turtleneck or just a normal jumper. But he's just sitting there, got great, lovely smart trousers on. He's got the coolest like 
sunglasses thing mm. I've ever seen. And I, I've been talking to you about, and both of us have been trying to track down what sunglasses they are. Yeah, the, the closest we can kind of know. find is like Curry and Paxton. They're pretty yeah. accurate. But, Funny, um, but. but yeah, we just want to want to know what they are. So if anyone out there knows what they are. And, and speaking of um, Tomorrow Never Knows, actually, something that comes to mind when you were just saying that mm. is being ahead of its time. It has the same thing for me as what Space Oddity by David Bowie has. When you find out when it yeah. was written, you can't... You're like, how did that sound mm. come out of that But it's, it's even like, when you go to songs like She Said, She Said, like mm. John Lennon's writing lyrics like, oh, you know, I know what it's like to be dead. I mean, people weren't writing yeah, that stuff in the 60s. Early 20s. Then, you know? yeah. yeah, that's it. Like, it's, you know, kind of saying, oh, this, this pop stardom stuff isn't everything, which is what you know pop stars aren't really supposed to say are they no you know, no no like, yeah that's what made him so cool i guess yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's not even just down to like the you know the recording and that sort of stuff being changed it was like the actual the lyrics and the music side of it was you know yeah being revolutionized as well but i, I think i love that era for the beatles as well because in their downtime that for me with the beatles it's like mm. the jackets they had what a jacket collection for any band like the suede oh the suede jacket the leather jackets so Soul. cool yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, that is like yeah what I like to think as as like British West Coast American look it's yeah. like British people trying to dress like what people are dressing like across the pond mm. it's really cool isn't it and i mean they're they're late 60s looks as well like mm. i mean if you look at the you know the the recent get back film or recent as a couple of years ago i mean yeah. I've watched it probably about six or seven times through no, now. I, I do not love blame it. you. Yeah. But the, the clothes in that, I mean, some of the stuff George Harrison wears, he's like, um, he's got a beautiful like red shirt. I'm not sure uh, if it's like boots. a denim shirt. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not the boots. <laughs> maybe not the you boots. You can keep the boots. But um, but yeah, it's like those, you know, that there's a beautiful red shirt he wears. I'm not sure if it's like a denim shirt or something like It looks like a similar sort of style. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's just stuff like that. Really cool with like the, you know, blue jeans it's just like looks casual again but looks smart you know? yeah and that the, the era, colors of that era up on stage yeah yeah it's like what they were wearing on the rooftop what yeah aside from like the clothes like just the colors they're wearing there's um yeah ringo's got that bright red mac yeah, yeah. Uh, george has got green trousers a big furry, big furry yeah, like, yeah, yeah john's got the big brown fur coat and i think it's McCartney. What's he it's wearing? It's just wearing a suit, isn't it? Just it's wearing just a like, suit, but it's know. like the contrast of them, what they're wearing, the colours. It but looks it all so just, cool. It all goes together. It all shouldn't it, work, but it but, absolutely um, does, yeah. doesn't it? There's a funny story about uh, George Harrison's shoes, actually. It just reminded me. Sure. Um, I'm trying to think. It was when they were filming. I might be wrong, but it was, it was around the time they were filming Magical Mystery Tour. Um, and they went in this little uh, like Chinese restaurant. And see, where they used to normally like the roadies carry the money for them and things like that. There was no roadies there. It was just, just the Beatles, I think, and the wives who are having like some food. Um, and then it gets to the end of the meal and then they realise they haven't got any money. And then they're all going, oh yeah, well normally, you know, we'll, we'll pop out and we'll come back and pay here. And obviously the people who run the restaurant weren't very happy with that. <laughs> so George Harrison had these like handmade um, like Indian boots, I think. I'm not <laughs> sure if they're the ones that he's wearing and get back or different ones, but he had some like handmade like Indian shoes that he'd got from his travels out there. And um, he, he took them off and ripped open the back of them 
and uh, he'd like stuffed a load of like 10 pound notes in there. <laughs> so like that was obviously like his emergency stash. Like if he got in trouble, he had a couple of, you know, a bit of a few wow. notes in the bottom of his shoes. So I wonder he, if they asked, he asked him to, can you make a, a hidden compartment for me? In <laughs> yeah, wow. But yeah, so he just like tore the bottom of these shoes off, pulled these notes out and then paid the Chinese food bill and then left. <laughs> well, so, it came in handy, didn't yeah, it? He knew what, it. He knew what he was doing. A little bit of trivia for you. Later, Very good. Though. I like that story. I'm going to, I'm going to pass that off as my, I'm going to edit this and manipulate the sound. <laughs> to sound like I said that (laughs) and you'll be like wow great story Tom if you could just say that now so I could uh, splice that in earlier just say wow great story Tom that'll do thank you very much well great story Tom unfortunately we have reached the end of a well the final episode I was going to say another episode but the final episode of A Cut Above here on The Face Radio it has truly been a pleasure making this show and I really hope you enjoy listening to them all and I really hope you enjoy listening to them into the future. If you're listening listening right now in years to come, thank you so much because, honestly, it makes it all worthwhile kind of hearing from people that have listened in. Even if you've just listened for a minute, I honestly really appreciate it. Me and Ollie will be joining forces and bringing you a new show soon. It doesn't have a title yet, but please stay tuned for that. It will be music, clothing, and so much more. Um and there'll be lots going on so please the best way to uh kind of keep track of that is to go over to my social media uh instagram at tom hoy style um twitter at uh tom the mod dj and my facebook tom hoy but yeah all there is to say really is thank you so much to uh simon andy and ollie for coming on the show and making it what it is and especially to you for listening and thank you so much to the face radio which I hope to continue with for years to come at The Face because they're a great station um, built by amazing people and amazing DJs. So I will turn uh, return soon with Ollie with a brand new show, so stay tuned for that one. But right now, here's Talking Heads with Psycho Killer. Thank you so much, and I'll see you again soon. Goodbye.
I close my eyes on this sunny day Say something once, why say it again? Psycho killer Yeah.